So I moved to Austin for graduate school and uh, also because I wanted to get out of the New York blizzards because I couldn't take how cold it was there when I was living in Brooklyn. I was miserable. It was really, really hard. I was just basically swimming constantly to try and just keep my head above water, much less excel. I actually at first was like, what did I do? The beginning of my second semester, um, I used to live next door to Thunderbird, which back then was called Clementine. They didn't have the wood deck that they have now. Um, it was just this like little kind of like gravel area with these nice little like loungy nylon orange chairs. And I was sitting in one and I was wearing sandals and it was February. And I remember looking at my feet and being like, I'm wearing sandals in February. This is amazing. And after that, I was like, okay, I love it here. I'm Erica Lees, and this is I Love You So Much. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tali Mosley. I'm Omar Gayaga. And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. Every great story has conflict, but Daniel Curtis is determined that his will have a happy ending. His upcoming event and fundraiser, Pay It Forward, tells the stories of the spinal cord injury community. And here today, he joined us to talk life after paralysis. You may know what job, mate, or even outfit is best suited to your personality type, but what about the best bar? No problem. Austin 360's web desk has taken the liberty of matching your Myers-Briggs personality type to your ideal libation destination, and Eric Webb is coming in to talk about it. We talked to you guys about our upcoming I Love You So Much happy hour and one-year anniversary on August 1st. We'll end, as always, with our recommendations in a toast. But first, Daniel Curtis, a longtime Austinite who worked in the hospitality industry before a diving accident changed his life forever. He joined us to talk about the upcoming August 2nd event and why his life as a quadriplegic might not look like you think. Thanks for coming to the studio, Daniel. Thank you so much for having so, me. So in 2011, you had a Memorial Day weekend that changed your life forever. This and is it true, yeah. led you to uh, now having this Lensar Paralysis event that's coming up. But why don't we start first with your story? Sure. Yeah, so I'm a longtime Austinite. I've been here since I was one. Um, I kind of grew up, um, you know, went to Crockett in South Austin and then a couple years of ACC, but I really, I got into the food and beverage industry in Austin. And so that was, I was fascinated with that. I loved working. I loved making money. I loved meeting people. Um, so that's what I did up until the age of 29. And I kind of climbed the ladder. Um, at the time of my injury, I was the assistant director of food and beverage at the AT&T Hotel and Conference Center. So this was the weekend after commencement and it was pretty tame. It was just me alone in my backyard with my dog. We were playing fetch. My dog loves the water. So I had a pool. Um, and I kind of, you know, it was one of those moments where I just uh, multitask when I shouldn't have. So I was throwing the ball as well as diving at the same time. And I kind of slipped. And just like that, uh, my head hit the bottom of the pool. I felt this kind of flash in my neck. Um, I was conscious. It was kind of kind of crazy because I was just holding my breath for as long as I could. And I was trying to, to get to the the surface so I could take a breath, but I just didn't have the function. I had, you know, damaged my spinal cord injury that quickly. So um, I ended up just holding my breath for as long as I could, kind of thinking like, I guess this is it. You'd think that'd be terrifying. It was actually kind of um, kind of euphoric. I mean, I guess that's what happens when you slowly deprive your 
brain of oxygen. But mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't really afraid to die, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. My last thought was my girlfriend is on her way home from HEB. She was picking up a bottle of wine. Um, so that was it. And then I woke up in the back of an ambulance in my front yard. Um, so she had come home. She found me. She uh, realized that I wasn't kind of playing a practical joke. She jumped in. She pulled me out. She gave me CPR. Fortunately for me, she was an ICU nurse, so she knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, then began like the second phase of my life as a quadriplegic. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the origin of the story. Sure. While I was... While I was at um, inpatient rehab in Houston, the culinary community kind of rallied, and they held this huge fundraising event, 20 restaurants. It was in the ballroom at the AT&T this Hotel. This was just like two months after your accident. Yeah, yeah. and we weren't even sure if I was going to be there because I didn't know when I was going to be discharged mm-hmm. from the hospital. So it ended up working out to where I got discharged the day of the event. So I was able to drive home from Houston. We stopped off at CVS, picked up a bunch of medications, and... And then I went to this event, and man, it was probably one of the most powerful, uh, emotional events of my life, just seeing so many people um, that I knew, but a lot of strangers who were just kind of touched by my story. Um, People in the food and beverage community. Yeah, people in the food and beverage community, or people that, you know, knew somebody with a spinal cord injury, or, yeah, just a lot of strangers who introduced themselves. So I started going to this event, probably, if not that year, the following years, and it was, it really was moving to see the food community come out. But then it was interesting as it started to shift, because you started to get your your new life back, and a new sense of normal, and you really became a leader in the paraplegic and quadriplegic communities here, and... Um, such a great spokesperson for the Lone Star, Star Paralysis Foundation. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that foundation, how it's benefited you, and what the money raised at this event will go for? Absolutely. I would love to. Um, so Lone Star Paralysis Foundation has actually been around. It started out as a golf tournament like 40 years ago. Um, they've been uh, official nonprofit for almost 20 years now. And they, um, they do what we call the three R's. So they raise money for research. Um, for recovery or rehab, and then for recreation. So the research piece is um, mostly done in academia at different colleges. We do some stuff with UT. Um, With regards to recovery, I was um, benefited from one of their advanced recovery scholarships. So even with insurance, and this was, you know, pre-ACA, so I didn't have an out-of-pocket max. But I had good insurance, I thought, and my benefits ran out, and it was kind of like I still needed therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where they're there to, to kind of help. I was still making gains. Um, so they kind of gave me a scholarship for an additional three to six months of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recreation. So we run the adaptive sports program here in town. So everything from wheelchair basketball to rugby to kayaking to, um, you know, we get together every weekend and do something. We'll go bowling. So it's just a good opportunity for, for folks to get out in the community because sometimes it's tough, you know. Mm-hmm. Find You're that a, fellowship. Yeah, absolutely. I want to pick up on the first R you mentioned, Daniel, and that is the research part. What types of research is going on in this space? Oh, man, there's so much. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening with exoskeletons. Um, so that's just robotics. Um, there's really cool stuff. What we're doing at UT is with Dr. Bittner, and he is um, figured out how to kind of surgically prepare the damage to a peripheral nerve. Um, which is relatively new technology. Um, In the past, you would sustain a peripheral nerve injury and you would have to wait. Your peripheral nerves regenerate at about a millimeter a day or an inch a month. So this is a way to kind of go in quickly and fuse that that lesion. Um, So we've we've been funding that and we're looking to kind of translate that into the central nervous system or the spinal cord. So that's um, something that's really exciting. 
And then uh, other stuff that's going on, you know, when we're babies and when we're growing up, um, our bodies naturally kind of build the spinal cord injury, spinal cord. And, and once you reach adulthood, there's a switch in your brain that kind of shuts that off. So um, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on and how to turn that switch back on. Um, and the cool thing about that is there's, you know, it's kind of a fountain of youth element to it. So there's a lot of um, outside parties uh, who are interested um, because that could be a pretty significant uh, bottom line changer for like folks in cosmetics and, you know, um, those that are um, looking to kind of market a fountain of youth procedure, mm. if you will. I've um, heard that contortionists build this special type of collagen in their ligaments and tendons, and that it is kind of like what you're talking about, this fountain of youth thing, where like they don't look younger, but their bodies behave um, like a younger person's would because they're generating this stuff like extra stem stem cells in the areas that they're stretching. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah. So this study I was referencing is UC Berkeley, and they're um, they've been having a hard time raising money, but now it seems like funding is coming in because there is this kind of third element of it that people are interested in. So right. that's it's exciting. And then everything with the Reeves Foundation, you know, still working on stem cells, still working on like uh, they'll put uh, implant an electronic implant in your lower spine to kind of help make that connection. So there's a lot of great stuff and I'm still you know even having been in a chair now for seven years I know I can I can live a full and happy life Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also really optimistic that I don't have to spend the rest of my life in this chair so and that's what I tell new injuries Um, you know sometimes there's at the beginning there's really not a lot of hope Um, but I'm I'm excited to see what's going on in that science technology medical space and I'm confident that it's just a matter of time. Can you tell us some more about this new, full, happy life that you're leading? Because I watch it on Facebook, and it is so fun. You're doing great. Thanks. You might get me a little choked up. Um, oh, well, but we all might, might sure. together just have a moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, community was key in my recovery. Um, and then growing up in Austin and just having people around me, um, friends, you know, I mentioned the culinary community. But the other thing Lone Star Paralysis Foundation offered was a free community gym. So I would go and do my therapy, but then I would... Um, I'd hang out afterwards and I'd get to use all of this amazing equipment and I would just be there eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And that was like two years post, post-injury post of just full-time working on, on my recovery process. And in that process, I learned, you know, I, I met a lot of people. I learned a ton about my injury. I asked a lot of questions. Um, I ended up one of my occupational therapists. Um, I kind of had a crush on. And it's very it's not very professional for yeah. an OT to. So I actually waited two years until after um, I was her patient, and I kind of tricked her into going with me on a first date to Chavez back when it was at the Radisson. Um, and that worked out well. We're, we've been married now for almost two and a half years. Oh, um, yeah, congratulations. It's, they say it's, it's pretty cliche for a quadriplegic <laughs> to end up with an occupational therapist <laughs> um, just because a lot of work they do is in that space is kind of upper extremity and, you know, getting you back to doing dishes and laundry and mm-hmm. activities mm-hmm. of daily Get living. You functional <laughs> around the house. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess, you know, I can do laundry. I learned that. Um, and yeah, excited. We actually are um, six months pregnant so we're expecting our first child in three months yeah and that's I mean that's for me that was one of the things that um I thought about first when I came out of surgery was how does this affect you know my ability to have a family um because at that point in my life I was 29 and that was like one of my 
agenda items, if you will. Um, so it's uh, seven years later, it's happening, and we're excited and thrilled. That's so awesome. So you were in the food and beverage industry, and your your whole life shifted to, I mean, advocacy in this space is really what you do pretty much all the time. Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm fortunate enough to, um, you know, I've got a few rental properties, so I've got some some income from those. Um, the state of Texas actually has a lot of really good benefits for those that have um, traumatic injuries, so spinal cord injuries or brain injuries. And um, it's gotten, it's not as good as it used to be, um, and that's just a result of legislation over time. But back um, seven years ago, they actually would, you know, they helped me go back to school. Um, they paid for my undergrad at UT, and then they paid for What my, did you end up studying? Um, so initially, I wanted to go into, like, biomedical engineering. I wanted to find a cure in the lab. <laughs> um, but then I realized, like, in a lab, you need really good de- dexterity, and mm-hmm. I, my hands don't work. So I would have had to be, like, an observational learner, and that's not my jam. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let's do... I had a good business background from being in the hotel food and beverage world and looking at budgets and so on and so forth. So I decided I would get my MBA and then I would raise money and give it give that to the biomedical engineers and let them find a cure. That's why you made this connection with that first star with research, being like, yeah, yeah. there's a commercial link to it and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, it's not. In many cases, it's not a bad thing at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you, State of Texas, for your help with that. And now I'm, you know, I'm looking to put that to use um, we've got lofty goals and ambitions down the line. Um, you know, I read on the event page for Pay It Forward that it's dedicated to telling the stories of people with spinal cord injuries. What's one of the number one misconceptions uh, people, the general public has about what it's like to sustain and then live with a spinal cord injury? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks, what really sells in in the fundraising world is people who can walk again. Um, But I think if you ask somebody with a spinal cord injury, oftentimes that's not at the top of their list as far as what they want back. I mean, for me, because I have a neck injury, my my hand function is impaired. So that's probably at the top of my list. I mentioned, uh, well, I mentioned earlier when we were coming into the studio that I don't have the ability to sweat. So just regulating body temperature is difficult for me. And and if it's cold or if it's really hot, and we live in Austin, Texas, so sometimes it's really hot, um, you know, that's kind of, that's difficult. Um, And then everything, you know, from bowel and bladder, I mean, you just kind of lose, you know, you lose full control over a lot of those faculties. So for me, like walking is probably fourth or fifth on the list. Um, So I think that's kind of a a general misconception. Um, Also that, you know, we're not, we don't really have anything to contribute to society. Um, I've seen so many incredibly productive individuals with, uh, you know, tetraplegia or paraplegia. And so I think that's, it's, that's an important message to get out is that we're not, you know, we're not a drain. If you can give us the tools to work with, um, we can really kind of provide a benefit to society. And I, I mean, we bring a, a, a fresh set of eyes when it comes to diversity. Um, you know, looking at spaces and if you talk about universal design and, and just where we're going in the future, I think that um, our opinion and input matters. I did want to ask about accessibility in Austin, building upon that. Um, are there any places in particular that do a really great job of going out of their way to meet the needs of people who are in a wheelchair or places that you maybe could see there's some work to be done? Sure. I mean, downtown Austin in general, you know, and UT Is campus. good? Um, so downtown Austin in general is not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that it's great. I'd say that we still have work to do. Austin, um, you know, claims to be a very accessible city. I, 
I would push back and challenge that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got a good friend, Chase Bearden, who works for the Cent- uh, Coalition of Texans with Disabilities, and he was downtown last week and kind of took a picture of uh, where a cur- curb cut should be mm-hmm. um, and where it wasn't. So for him to get where he needed to go, he had to kind of be in the middle of Lavaca Street, um, which isn't super safe, and pushing up a hill and, you know, to the next block, essentially. So little things like that. Um, well, even like the electric scooters being in the middle of the sidewalks. Yeah. Have you encountered that? Um, um, I have encountered that, and that's um, that's kind of one of the things that's on the table, I think, in, for the next legislative session is mm-hmm. is a lot of these folks are parking in the stripe zone of, like, handicap mm-hmm. um, spots and scooters as well. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just, you know, it makes things a little difficult. I, I've got my routine and my pattern, and I haven't noticed too many issues. Um, and I've got enough function to where, like, I can, you know, if there's a step, I can kind of handle a step. But mm-hmm. a lot of folks in a power chair... You know, if there's a two or three inch threshold, there's really not much that can be done. So, and I, I, part of the the end of my MBA program was a a two week international trip, and we went to Australia and New Zealand, and I think I got a taste of like how good accessible like spots can be because mm. everywhere in New Zealand, they've got a men's room, a ladies' room, and they've got a room for uh, those with disabilities. Wow. So it was really impressive. Wow. Um, so yeah, I think you know, as a nation, we still have work to do. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, I think Austin is incredibly accessible, and um, there's there's no place I'd rather be. It sounds like the community here too, also just can't be beat. Yeah. Uh, this is true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there are things we can do to kind of strengthen that community, but it's pretty saw so- it's pretty strong and solid as is. Well, for a taste of it, go check out this Pay It Forward. Seriously, listeners, uh, the event is on August second, and it is at the AT and T Hotel and Conference Center. You can find tickets and all the information you'd like online at pifdaniel.com. Thanks, Daniel, for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Hi, guys. It's Addie, Tali, and Omar here. We are jumping into the middle of the show to talk to you a bit about our upcoming event. We've got a happy hour at Indian Roller on Wednesday, August 1st, 6.30 p.m., I think I have all those details right. When you hear this, it will be coming right up. Yeah. And we just wanted to talk about it for a couple minutes, like why we wanted to do this and, um, you know, what we hope will happen there, which is people having a good time. There will be a little bit of sweating. It will be a little hot, but they do have an indoor (laughs) zone with, well, they've got fans and stuff. So we'll be staying cool. But I think the main takeaway for us is that we really want to meet some of you, but we also want to get a chance for our guests and everybody that we've interacted with on the show to have an excuse to hang out because half the time when we're walking our guests into the studio we start talking and we realize that they know the guests we just had on the last week or they know totally. the guests we're booking for the following week. Austin is a small world. It is a yeah. small, hot, blazing hot world right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a little apocalyptic, but that's okay. Um, so, yeah, we um, it's our one-year anniversary, so that's the occasion for this happy hour, but also, ever since the States Shots days, building community in IRL is something I've been really wanting to do, and it's just taken me about five years to make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) So this is something that, um, yeah, has just been top of mind for me for a while, was getting together our guests and listeners in the same room, because we think you guys would really like each other. Yeah, also podcasting is... is, uh 
feels sometimes like a one-way medium. Like we're putting out these episodes and sometimes we hear from some of you on social media, but we don't see your faces. We don't you know, get to interact with you directly a lot. So what we've done is we've invited a lot of people on our own friends list. We've invited past guests of the show. But this is also, if you're a listener that we've never met, that, that you only hear us through the audio medium, this is a way for you to come talk to us, talk to our guests, uh, come meet some of these people that you've been hearing from on the show. Uh, we hope to have people like Eric Webb and some of the you know frequent people on the show as well as you know guests that we've just really fallen in love with that we think you'd like to meet. Yeah, so um, again, the event details are 6.30 p.m. Wednesday, August 1st at Indian Roller. It's a really cute bar um, on Manchac and it's got many, like many areas available for hanging out. It's got an indoor spot, it's got two outdoor spots, a really incredible food truck, a vintage photo booth, and extended happy hour, like yeah. happy hour from I want to say four thirty to nine thirty, and it goes into like a evening. karaoke thing, and it goes into karaoke too. So, have you, guys, have you picked your karaoke songs yet? Well, okay, like at last time I sang, I sang karaoke. <laughs> my, she? my friends begged me to stop. My husband has also begged me to stop before. <laughs> so, so you don't have a problem picking songs. <laughs> no, I do have a go to, or I did have a go to song, but I was shamed about it, and so well, if I do Kelly Clarkson. Since you've been gone, <laughs> I will ask you I to top totally, that. So. Well, no, I would help you. I would I would totally be your backup. It's smart to put the karaoke at the end of the happy hour because then you get the real sloppy, yes. drunky yeah, karaoke. Yeah, there you go. Right, right. Now the Everyone question is, to... are we going to bring a recording a recording device of some mm. sort to get Capture some of these memories on Slash the blackmail? Hmm. <sighs> well, anyway, we have we, a few days to think about it. We do have a Facebook invite, but I mean, you're not obligated to RSVP in that way. Just show up. Come, come meet us. Uh, we'll see you there. ENFP, INFJ. If you have no idea what we're saying right now, go take a Myers Briggs test. And if you do, keep listening. Austin 360's Eric Webb is here to tell us which Austin bar is best for your unique personality type. Eric Webb, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, as always. Okay, so today we're talking personality and we're talking bars. Fill us in, good sir. Yeah, so two things, two great things that go great together, personality tests and drinking, right? Yes. Um, So I don't know about y'all, but I took the Myers-Briggs personality test in my sophomore year of high school in a chemistry class. There are major... Chemistry! Yes, (laughs) which is perfect. There are major things about my family medical history I cannot remember, but I have always remembered my Myers-Briggs personality test results. I have They are foundational to my view of myself. Absolutely. And what are they? I am an ENFP. Right. As are Addie and I, I believe we are the Oprahs of the Myers-Briggs world. But also, ENFP, I think, is an incredibly common yes. Myers-Briggs result. I think it's also incredibly common because it's how people want to see themselves. Totally. Because right? Right. I, I actually confess that I think I might be an ENFJ because yeah. I, I have more judgmentalism in me. But Eric is pointing out that that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily what it means. And I'm on EI cusp, so I am both extroverted and introverted, mm-hmm. which what that actually means is, according to this test, is that you get where you get your energy from, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have an E, it means that you recharge in like social situations. If you have an I, it means you recharge uh, Me in time. solitude, which I yeah. do do both. Mm-hmm. And I think when I took it in 10th grade, 
I was more on the east side, but now as I've gotten older and life has become harder and I have grown to hate people more, perhaps, <laughs> I have started to have both a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it always shocks me whenever people haven't heard of Myers-Briggs, but I know some of you are out there, so we are going to do you the service of describing to you what the Myers-Briggs personality test is. So, Eric, let's start there. So for the Myers-Briggs test, there are four different letters you can be assigned, and there's two different choices for each. So you're either an E or an I, which is extroversion or introversion, an S or an N, which is sensing or intuition, uh, a T or an F, which is thinking or feeling, or uh, a J or a P, which is judgment or perception. So you have a vari- you have an alphabet soup to choose from. And this quiz, I was doing a little research on the old interwebs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roots actually date back to 1917, when the woman who founded it, uh, I think Miss Briggs herself, uh, start- first started getting interested in personalities and the differences between them. But the test itself launched during World War II, and everybody I've talked to, especially people who are of the generations older than the people sitting in this room identify Myers-Briggs as an employment test. Mm -hmm. This is something that you took at work so that your bosses could put you in groups that worked well together. Uh, My first question was, was this part of the hiring process? Because that seems like discriminatory (laughs) hiring practices if you're not going to get hired if you're, you know, an ENFJ. INFJ, get out of (laughs) here. So, um, but you guys had the creative idea on the web desk recently to pair up bars with personality tests. We're not talking about making money. We're talking about spending money (laughs) according to your (laughs) Myers-Briggs test results. So Amanda O'Donnell, who is uh, one of our wonderful... uh, content producers on the Statesman web desk. She loves doing stuff like this. She's a social butterfly herself. And so she took this massive undertaking of assigning a different Austin bar to each Myers-Briggs personality test uh, result. Now, I will say that there was not a huge amount of in-depth scientific research going into this necessarily. (laughs) This is mostly her her opinion, her thoughts, and she's a very perceptive person. So I think the results that she came up with are pretty good, pretty good. So for myself, an ENFP, for example, uh, she said ENFPs like to go to Rio Rita uh, because, and I quote, you're very popular, you're friendly, you know how to relax. Honestly, the biggest issue you face in choosing a bar is choosing a bar because you could have a good time almost anywhere. Oh, see, that's Spoken what it's like all about for ENFPs. Yeah, yeah. We're just awesome. I will say our dear producer, Elizabeth Alice, went to Rio Rita, after uh-huh. taking the test and finding out what her personality type was, she went to the bar. She uh-huh. said she had a good time. See? Okay, yeah. See, I think that, yeah, I think the man did a pretty good job. Consumer-facing journalism. Exactly. This is utility content, really. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at this list, and I felt the need to reverse engineer my Myers-Briggs test because it's been a while since I've taken mine. So, I decided to look in the list and find the bar that I like best, which is Kitty Cohen's, and apparently... That makes me an ISTJ. Okay. L- literally almost the opposite of what my <laughs> results were. So, well, I mean, you I don't ha- need to take a test, is what you're saying. You can just go to a bar I and then refer to this article. Maybe the the bar guide is actually the true personality test. Maybe, Maybe so. Okay, okay, well, hold on. But I want to interject here and say there's a newer personality test out there that Addie and I are both obsessed with called the Enneagram test. Eric, are you aware? I'm aware of of it. I've had friends tell me I need to take it. I took a very unofficial online version of it, and I was a two or three. Oh, yeah. Right. Which I don't remember what that means. I don't know. I can't remember what that means. I can see the Enneagram in front of me. My mom, who's a guidance counselor, was just telling me about a compass test that they're now doing northwest, southeast, that kind of thing. So, you know, there's a test. There's a personality test for every type of person. I feel like here's the, the deal, though, about the Enneagram. I feel like I can 
guess what people in my life are with accuracy, much more than Myers-Briggs. So I can come across a person in my life and be like, you seem like a five. And then I'll tell them to take the test and boom, they're a five. So I feel like it's, I don't want to say predictive, but it's like it, it, whereas Myers-Briggs, even if you're not an ENFP, it's pretty congratulatory. It's like, here's all the ways you're awesome. The Enneagram is like, yo, you've got this main quality about you and it has a shadow side mm. and a light side. So the key is awareness. That's pretty helpful. And actually, there's another test I've taken called the Berkman, which is four different colors. It's oh. yellow, green, blue, or red. And I also like it for that reason because it gives you like your stress behaviors. So it says, like, in my favorite part of my result, it said that I become provocative when challenged, which I think sounds really cool. <laughs> um, but I read through it. It's like here, like when you're under like stress in some sort of way, whether that's like being challenged or confronted or or um, you're being like pushed to your limit. Here are the ways that manifests itself in ways that aren't super awesome or great. But it's not Helpful. judgmental at all. Yeah. You know, it's just like this is what it is. Yeah, I will say that the Myers Briggs there does seem to be some black and white thinking there, where you're either this or that. And I think that some of these other tools allow you to see that there's we are multitudes. Mm-hmm. And I think I too am, think I used to be an expert introvert but maybe now I'm an introvert and it's like well do we really have to pick one mm-hmm. yeah you know kind of yeah. have a foot in both worlds right you, you do have to pick a bar so. you do have to pick a bar and you apparently bar. you did a follow-up report that said Austin has its own personality that's right well once we saw that personality test based content was big business in Austin apparently uh, we also found this article from a website called Britain Co which is a lifestyle website oh, yeah. uh, that said that Austin is the place to travel to if you are an ENFP. Ding, ding, ding. Which I will buy that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will buy what they're yeah. selling. Yeah, it's just because both Austin and ENFPs are witty, progressive, and straight up quirky. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. <laughs> That's why this segment was so fun. Yeah. Okay, uh, listeners, go find the uh, article on your nearest computer. Go to Austin360 and look for the best Austin bar for every Myers-Briggs personality type. Eric, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Now we've come to the moment in our show where we have a toast, and this is where we go around the table making some recommendations of things we feel you, our listeners, should check out. So, Addie, what do you have? Well, predictably or not, I'm in, I'm well, I'm binging on the second ep- uh, season of Glow right now. You guys know I have this sort of it's been an on again off again romance with uh, wrestling, <laughs> wrestling or wrestling fans <laughs> for a long time and I'm again with a wrestling fan and um I'm watching wrestling and I really enjoy it, but Glow is a real awesome it's a feminist take on a real life show from the 1980s called glow glow the gorgeous ladies of wrestling allison brie is the star of the show mark Marin is in it kate nash the singer i don't know if you guys ever listened yeah, to some kate nash yeah. she plays britannica she's the world's smartest woman that's her wrestling character in the show but season two has just been um you know it's got killer music amazing costumes if you loved baby driver or Basically, also, anything from the 80s, you were going to love this show. (laughs) The aesthetic is down. The hair, the makeup, the costumes, the attitudes is like 100% an homage to the 80s. Um, And you don't have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy it. In fact, the second season focuses less on the wrestling even than the first uh, season. But it's really awesome to see these actors also get up in the wrestling ring and throw some people around. And they look like legit wrestlers. So season two of Glow, or season two, yeah, season two of Glow is on Netflix and it's like 10 episodes, about ready to finish it. 
And they're so, short episodes. They're like 30 minutes, right? Yeah, they're pretty short. Um, and they, they, they just, they flow by very quickly. Um, and, you know, it's not, it, it does touch on some adult themes, so it's not necessarily a kid, you know, <laughs> wrestling in general is actually nowadays more kid-friendly than it ever has been. Um, but this digs into, you know, drug usage and sexual assault. And this most recent episode, she had a, a TV executive who wanted to, wanted her to, to like show him some wrestling moves. Oh. And then the show got canceled uh, after she refused, or the show got booted to like a 2 a.m. slot. And so mm. she she refused and paid the mm. price. Mm. So anyway, that's what I'm into right now. Tali, what are you into? Okay, mine is also a viewing experience. I saw 8th Grade, Ooh. the uh, Bo Burnham film that's getting a lot of buzz right now. And it is, uh, like... I feel like it's a really great compliment to Boyhood, actually, Richard Linklater's film, in that it does many, it just makes such different choices. First of all, the whole film is compressed into a week. It's just a week of this girl's life. So you're getting a window in at a particularly awkward, not just life stage, but a hard week in general. She is going up to uh, high school from eighth grade. She doesn't really have any friends. She is looking forward to growing up, but here she is in this just unbearably angsty, lonely time. And um, the casting for it was just wonderful. You cannot even believe this girl is acting. Um, and it just it just got me on so many levels. Like as a former eighth grader, I really related to it with my seventh and eighth grade self, but I also related to it on a mom level Mm -hmm. and knowing what's coming for Nico. So yeah, I just cannot say enough good things about it. I cannot believe a 30 year old man rendered the life experience of a 14 year old girl so effectively. I have have a sixth grader (laughs) and I feel like I need to watch this movie as research. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, you do. I mean, it just like... the and it's also a very now film. Also, I'm, I'm not sure how where how well it will wear into the future. There's a lot about YouTube and social media. It's and, all about yeah, YouTube and yeah. social media, and it's all about a constructed reality and persona through your online experience. And that's because Bo Burnham was a YouTube guy, mm. so he has a handle on this world. And I haven't read many interviews with him, but I'm wondering if part of the inspiration was him watching awkward. This sounds creepier than I mean it, but him watching awkward teen girls trying to construct a persona online. Mm. So anyway, uh, now could so like great. my eleven year old see it? Um, a little too mm, close for comfort. Well, there, well, there's just one scene that's um, not quite sexual, but alludes to that, mm-hmm. and um, so the TBD yeah yeah I, I would I think I would wait okay. I think I would wait a little bit very good uh, m- mine is uh, also in the indie film tip uh, but it came out last year I think it was uh, don't think twice which is the Mike Birbiglia movie about improv, which uh, <laughs> for me was incredibly painful and awkward to watch because like, I've seen some of those group dynamics at play. Uh, basically, the movie's about uh, Keegan-Michael Key. That's what, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And Jillian uh, Jacobs is in it too. Mike is in it. Uh, and it is Kate Micucci. It, it, they're basically in an improv group called uh, the, the Commune, uh, and one of the players in the Commune gets a Saturday Night Live type gig like auditions and gets it and becomes a big star and it's about really how that breaks down the group and how everyone you know how that affects every other person in the group and just kind of shatters the dynamic of this 
you know, wonderful thing that they had built together and then all of a sudden everything's in disarray. Wow. It's it's really good. But like if you've actually been in a comedy group or been in that world, it's so painful to watch because it's like, <laughs> yes, I know that guy and I know that reaction and I know how, you know, every, you know, when something, when one person in a group has big success, everyone's like, oh, that's great. Oh, me, I'm left behind. You know, yeah. like that sort of feeling. So it does a great job capturing that sort of like jealousy but not really jealousy but you're still rooting for the person but you're kind of comparing yourself to them and and does it in a way where it it's not monolithic like each person in the group has a different personality and a different way of expressing that it's it's really really well done uh very smart sharply observed and i think for people that don't know anything about improv or comedy it does a good job explaining what is improv where did it come come from i mean that's in the first five minutes it kind of lays down like this is what improv is where how it started and what sort of the the three guiding rules are of improv that sort of fuel the whole rest of the movie. So it's really smart. It's a great movie. And I got it at the New Braunfels Public Library on Blu-ray. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Hip it up, why don't you, New Braunfels Public Library? I love that. Between the, between that and Nanette, there's just a lot of feels that comedians are feeling. And I think it's really cool that non-comedians get a glimpse into this world. Oh, yeah. You're looking behind the curtain. That. Yeah. yeah, I just love that. Yeah, and 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 you know, and it also it's, it does a good job of explaining why improv can go so badly mm. on stage or why it can, why it's why people are into it because I've, I think if you've only ever seen bad improv or you've seen kind of amateurish improv you're like why would anyone sit through that hmm. you know but when you see it done well it's like oh, oh no okay that's what's special about improv it improv can be magical oh it is because you're yeah and they, they kind of st- state that plainly in the movie it's like you're seeing something that will never exist again and has never existed before and it's just in the moment I have a really good friend who's into improv and it's his therapy oh yeah I mean it's where he goes every week to get all that stuff out which is yeah. Sounds fun to me. So yeah. don't think twice. I don't know if it's on Amazon or Netflix, but you can definitely find it on DVD at your public <laughs> library, maybe. Uh, but check it out, Mike. And uh, what's his face? Ira Glass uh, produced it. Oh, so I, I remember uh, getting a lot of mentions on... He's such a microbiglia booster. Oh, yeah. I was getting a ton of mentions on uh, on uh, on the uh, on the podcast on... Uh, this American Life. This American oh, Life. Oh, that, that little old show. You know, I heard that they had <laughs> Esther Perot recently. Have you ever heard of her? That was a great episode. <laughs> that quaint podcast. That uh, anyway, good toast. Good job. Thanks, Yay. That's our show. She's Addie. He's Omar. I'm Tali. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at loveaustin360. If you liked what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. It helps other people discover the show. I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, is produced by Alyssa Vidales. The show is made with support from Features Editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672. We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your cold compresses. We'll be off for our happy hour next week, but we'll be back on August 10th. Until then, we'll see you wherever there's shade. (laughs) 